0: designer label fashionistas, hip-hop gear fanciers, and everyday people blended into one friendly mix. Welcome back to No Script and Unscripted Conversation about theater's
1: best scripts. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Welcome back, everybody. We're still coming down off of kind of a little bit of the the, the high of the themed month, but we have exited that and are on towards the like last couple episodes of the season of uh, this uh, 11th season of No Script.
0: That is right. We've only got a few episodes left in season 11, and then we will be taking a regular holiday time break and be back sometime in the new semester, so keep your eye out for that. That's announcement number one. Announcement number two on my list is a really exciting one. It's one that we give every season, but every season it's different because, of course, I'm talking about the special guest episode, which is coming next week Every season of No Script, we take one episode where either Jackson or I hosts a guest for a conversation instead of just the two of us talking. We are committed to that diversity of voices and viewpoints, and it's been a great part of No Script to have these other folks come in and share their perspectives on a script. And so this season, we're really delighted to welcome Corey Hayes to the podcast. I had a conversation with Corey about a play, a really spectacular play, that she had really recently acted in called In a Word by Lauren Yee. That play is incredibly theatrical, incredibly moving, incredibly funny, and it was just an awesome time to have a conversation with somebody who who had knew so much of the script by the by the way of being in it, by that kind of knowledge of deep diving in hours and hours of rehearsal. And so that that's what the themed month can or the 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 special guest episode rather can bring is a total totally different way to access the script. And we certainly got that with Corey. It's a great conversation. I was excited to listen back to it as we were preparing. I was excited to do it. Now we're excited to release it to you. So that's coming next week. And then the following week, Jackson will be back for the last episode of the season.
1: Yes, indeed. So get excited for that. I'll be gone next week, but you'll hear me again one more time before the end of the season. In the meantime, get excited for that special guest episode. We're excited to bring it to you. We're also excited to kind of talk to get the chance to talk about this script today um, and bring you another unscripted conversation about Merry Wives by Jocelyn Bio.
0: That's right. Of course, Merry Wives is an adaptation of Shakespeare's Merry Wives of Windsor, which is I'll just say this now so we don't have to say it later. Kind of the one Shakespeare that's a little critically panned. Just, you know, it's like <laughs> it, I think they saw something somewhere where like there some scholars think that Shakespeare maybe wrote it like fast because it's just <laughs> it doesn't display some of the same things that we see in other Shakespeare plays. But Jocelyn Bio's Adaption does not have that weakness. It is an incredibly imaginative adaptation of the script that stays faithful to the plot and the story in so many ways. Makes some really interesting, exciting changes to the story, to the setting, in many other ways. Uh, Merry Wives, if you don't know, is set in Harlem in a more recent contemporary time, rather than in uh, in in England, in you know, long, long ago as Merry Wives of Windsor is set and so that update to the setting carries over into the language in many places. It's just, it's a delightful read. It's a delightful watch as I'll describe when we get to the context section. It is possible for you to see a spectacular spectacularly good staging, the original staging of Merry Wives. Um, And so I think this will be a fun conversation. I will say, as we like to say when we discuss these types of scripts, that this is a play about, by, and for Uh, African Descendants in America, that's who Jocelyn Bio has put into the script. Jackson and I are just two white dudes. So, you know, uh, hopefully that our perspective, our conversation is interesting and engaging. We find it to be a mission of the podcast to share a diversity of voices. And so that is what we do. But we always encourage you to find other sources to check out the play and discussions on the play from other people. The production that was done in Central Park that I'll talk about in the context section was really well publicized for some very cool reasons. Uh, but all that to say that you can see a lot of great interviews and conversations around that production. That would be an awesome supplement and, uh, to, to our conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely check out those interviews, check out the production, check out all sorts of like great uh, articles and reviews and conversation starters in that realm as well. I'm excited to have the chance to talk about this play. Um and also the the chance to deal with adaptations. Um uh, adaptations are a, a love of 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 mine. I know I know it's a love of Jacob's. It's actually one of the earliest projects we worked on together were adaptations True. of classical scripts. So uh so yeah, it's it's fun to have the chance to to uh, have that conversation around around Mary White. And around kind of recontextualizations and and continued life being breathed into classic plays, so it's a, it's an exciting. Uh, a conversation for that reason as well. We'll get to all that, though, in just a minute. Before we jump in, I wanted to say thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you all so much for being a part of the Noscript community and helping make this show possible. We love getting to have these conversations and 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 uh, kind of uh, having a wide range of conversations across a bunch of different types of scripts, genres, times, um, and the patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast make that happen. If you're looking for a way to help out the show, if you're looking for a way to get involved in the show a little bit more, uh, kind of have some other conversations or uh, uh, kind of be in the know about how th- what scripts are coming up and things like that, uh, the Patreon community is a great way to do that. We have a number of different tiers, the lowest one being just $1. We've really committed to that $1 amount, um, and, uh, and we want to be sure that like, the, the, that is the like lowest tier of entry um, to be a part of the, the Patreon community. But just that $1 amount is enormously helpful to the show. We have another um, other tiers that you can look at as well. So looking for a way to help out the show and jump into the NoScript community, head on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, and we will see you over there. And now, back to the script. Here we go. Okay, so
0: the Jocelyn Bio's adaption of *Mary Wives is a very, very recent script. So rather than do the thing that we often do at the context section, which is to look at the life it's continually had and look at different productions and things like that, what I want to just focus on for this context section is what this play came out of, what it was for, that original production that was put up by the public theater, the Delacorte Theater, which is the stage stage. stage inside Central Park in New York City. The public theater, of course, New York City, big famous institution. Uh, The public theater has a a summer Shakespeare season called Free Shakespeare in the Park that takes place on that stage in Central Park. It's a major institution in New York City. Um, It's a great example of Shakespeare in the Park. Of course, Shakespeare in the Park is itself a kind of institution tradition uh situation here i i remember going to shakespeare on the green in one of the big parks in omaha as a kid uh montana has a great shakespeare in the park touring program i mean there are uh shakespeare in the park is it's not a specific organization but it's a kind of way of doing shakespeare that is traditional and has been uh, established in communities all over the United States. And so the public theaters, Free Shakespeare in the Park, is a major, major example of that. They had Jocelyn B.O. write her adaption of Merry Wives for a really notable, let's say, edition or season of Free Shakespeare in the Park. And that was summer 2021. Now, I I say that and we are we're on our way out of this thing we call the pandemic, hopefully. Uh, But it thinking about that summer 2021, it's it's almost hard to think back to that at this point in time. But that was a time at which communities were very much still uh, in masks, in in social distancing situations. Um, Some communities were still even in some form of not lockdown, but sort of social restrictions. And so when summer 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 2021 comes around, rather, the public theater and their free Shakespeare in the Park program says, we need something to sort of celebrate communities, to celebrate the boroughs, to enjoy bringing people back together. Of course, it's already an outdoor, theater event just by its nature. So it has that going for it coming out of COVID. And th- their decision to stage Allen Bo's adaption of Mary Wives had some really incredible things happen as a result of it. One of them, as you read the reviews and listen to the interviews and stuff, is that uh, apparently it was the case for a while. I'm not sure that this is true anymore, but it was the case for a while that they would do two Shakespeare plays. That's very common. the Shakespeare on the Green that I grew up seeing did two Shakespeare plays is a summer or a Shakespeare and something else but their decision because coming out of COVID theaters didn't know what life is going to be like was to do one show but to do it big and so the the production photos of the original staging of Mary Wives are big Big. I mean, big in scale, big in spectacle. There are huge built locations that take up the course of the play. It's set in, in Harlem. And so different sort of storefronts and the places inside of them kind of make up what this play is. And because of their decision to go big, again, the, the, the photos, the spectacle of it are just incredible. And it was a huge community event. People came out for theater on the back end of COVID, and it became a kind of New York City celebration of getting back to the arts and getting back to an art that was celebrating the community in New York City by doing a Shakespeare. Um, there's a great moment at the end of the play where they actually go into the sort of uh, a in in, in, in uh, an interior city park or sort of forest park like landscape and the design had the storefronts and the the Harlem block that they had built open up to reveal the real Central Park as the kind of backdrop for that apparently it was, it was just just incredible and so that's where this play comes from and comes out of um helping theater to come back to life after the pandemic, which is just, I think, an all-time awesome thing to celebrate. This past year, the Shakespeare in the Park was they, – they did Hamlet for the public theater and Kenny Leon, the famous, famous director, Kenny Leone, uh, directed it, which I just have to imagine was incredible. I wish that I had seen that. Um, if I'm in New York City in the summer going to the public theaters, free Shakespeare in the Park is like one of my bucket list events to go participate in.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the the it sounds like such a cool I, I love I love the description you gave. Such a such a cool production last year and all the like the production value thrown into it. it would be really cool to see Hamlet there too. Yeah, super super fun to go see.
0: And so, that production of Mary Wives because of its popularity, because of the quality, because it's been part of the spectacle and the beauty of the production, and in part because of its importance as a theater cultural moment coming on the back end of the the pandemic, ends up being part of the PBS Great Performances series. If you're not familiar with this series, PBS goes and films really notable pieces of theater and sort of archives them. You can see a lot of them. You do have to pay. It's not quite free to access. Um, And it's not, I will say, it's not quite the archive or library that like the National Theater's online library is these days, but PBS's great performances still has incredible things on it. You should check it out if you're just looking to see a play from your couch someday. Not totally sure how I feel about that, but that opportunity is available to you. And you can watch this staging of Merry Wives, this incredible celebratory staging of Merry Wives in Central Park is recorded as part of PBS's great performances. Even if you don't have the time or the interest to go through and watch the whole thing, although it's it's short. It's like less than two hours. Um, Watch the preview. Look at the interviews and the production photos. I think you'll be inspired by like what a thing this was in the summer of 2021.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely check that out, uh, and and yeah, yeah, definitely check out it out. Check out the script too. I'm excited for the conversation around it. I'm gonna give you just a little bit of synopsis around this play. I'm gonna be glancing <laughs> in my synopsis of this one, um, but uh, kind of highlight a couple a couple key differences, perhaps, um, from the the uh, original *Mary Wives of Windsor*. Um, the most important uh, sort of synoptically different thing is the setting, which we've already um, uh, talked about. This is uh, the the setting for this play is 160. 16th Street, Harlem, USA, and the time is the present day. More on that later. Um, the uh the uh the the characters of this play are all um very familiar characters, although the, you'll notice some differences. And so I'll just kind of like read down uh the, the character list for this play real quick. Uh notably the, the, the playwright has included the note that all characters are black American and or of African descent and are to be played by black actors. Thank you. Um the uh, 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 top billing in my script, as is, is often the way when he shows up in the in plays of Shakespeare's, is Falstaff. Falstaff is American, the neighborhood trickster. You have uh, Madame Nikichi Ford, Nigerian entrepreneur and laundromat owner. Madame Ekua Page, G- Ghanaian and a socialite. Mister Nduka Ford, Nigerian, very proud and wise. Mister Kwame Page, Ghanaian, well intentioned and kind. Anne Page, Ghanaian, the beautiful ingenue. Dr. Caius, who is Senegalese, the flashy neighborhood doctor, to be played by a male-identifying actor. Pastor Evans, Liberian, the loving neighborhood pastor, to be played by a male-identifying actor. Mama Quickly, Nigerian, the fun-loving, scheming auntie of the block. Shallow, Nigerian, the well-intentioned uncle of slender. Fenton, Ghanaian, honest and pure, who also plays simple. American, errand runner and hustler, to be played by a female-identifying actor. Pistol, American, Falstaff's minion, also plays Slender, who is Shallow's nephew, um, Nigerian nervous but sweet nephew to shallow and then there's also some ensemble cast members as well. I read these all out because it's it, these differences are fairly important and we'll get into the differences um, in uh, in the, the kind of conversation uh, later on but there's some uh, pretty notable uh, that not only uh, the, the, the requirement that all these uh, characters are played by black American actors but there's some gender differences as well um, in the casting of these people um, and excited to get into the conversation that that leads into but for the synopsis of the play there's really two plots Going on in this play, um, there's the uh, plot of who will Anne Page marry. Anne Page is the young daughter of uh, uh, Madame Page and Mister Page, and uh, many members of the community want to marry her. <laughs> um, she is she is beautiful. She is coming of age, and she is uh, also the the kind of like connection to the Page family. Um, so there's uh, lots of uh, kind of talk about dowry and things like that involved. And shallow. Who whose nephew is uh, named Slender um, uh, is as kind of focusing on Slender uh, marrying Anne Page, um, which is something Mister Page is a fan of. Now uh, that would be all well and good, except for two things. First of all, Madam Page isn't very interested in that, and neither is Anne Page. Uh, Madam Page wants Anne Page to marry the doctor, Dr. Caius, um, who's this kind of flamboyant, flashy neighborhood doctor who is uh, very much wants to marry, marry into the Page family and marry Anne Page. Again, though, there's a big problem with that. Mr. Page doesn't want that. And also, Anne Page doesn't want that. Anne wants to marry uh, Fenton, um, who is a kind of uh earnest, pure uh, uh, woman who is just kind of like very much in love with Anne, and Anne is very much in love with her. So... Uh, that that sort of uh, uh, drama unfolds throughout the play as kind of beat by beat, um, uh, various people make advances towards Anne, um, and uh, the the parents try their uh, different uh, uh, levels of, of of manipulation or lies or cajoling to try to get various different members to um, uh, either be on board or or Anne to be on board with with the marriage. A little more on that later. The other big plot that is running throughout this thing is that Falstaff is in town. And whenever Falstaff is in town, hijinks are afoot. Um, uh, Falstaff... um uh, is this kind of like vagabond? If you don't know Falstaff from many of other Shakespeare's plays, Falstaff is this vagabond, a uh, very sexual individual who comes into town and has affairs and things like that. Gets into all sorts of hijinks and often kind of plays the the bard or the fool or the or the uh, the the kind of commedia dell'arte character in the plays. Um, in this particular town, the interesting thing is that uh, the two sort of uh, power players of the town, Madame Ford, uh, Madame Ford and Mister Ford, and uh, Madame Page and Mister Page are both in kind of uh, two different stages of their relationship. The Pages are pretty trusting, um, non-jealous people, but the Fords, uh, Mr. Ford is a very jealous person. And so uh, when Falstaff uh, sees this kind of rich family up there, he says, well, I'm going to sleep with both of those women, and I'm just going to try it, because that's what I do as Falstaff. (laughs) And so he sends uh, these uh, messages to them to... um, See if there's a way that they could get together. Um, they, uh, uh, Miss <laughs> Mistress, uh, or I'm sorry, Madam, Madam Page and Madam Ford received these letters and, uh, say no to each other. Like, it's like, we're not going to follow up on this, are we? But also, what a good chance to kind of catch this guy out a little bit and also kind of uh, um, uh, <laughs> Madame Ford is like, my, my husband is uh, kind of annoyingly jealous, and this might be a good way to catch him out on some of his shenanigans as well. Um, So they kind of proceed with this plot to embarrass Falstaff and by association, Mr. Ford. Now, Mr. Ford catches wind of it and dresses up in a, in a whole other costume. A lot of kind of farcicalness in this. He kind of dresses up in a costume, goes to so Falstaff is like, when are you? I'm I'm this other person who's interested in my wife, and I, I would like you to court her for me, so that I can eventually um court her as well and steal her from this Mr. Ford. Um, and Falstaff says, great, you pay me money, I'll do that for you. That's awesome. So Mr. Ford finds out the date that they're all going to meet. The date is is in a laundromat and involves all sorts of hijinks where um, <laughs> Madame Ford and uh, Madame Page just kind of. Uh, make make a fool of Falstaff who comes in, they uh, <laughs> they kind of bait him into there and then right as they're about to kind of get get intimate with each other uh, Madam Page comes in and says, your husband is coming, no, hurry up, hide! And so Falstaff is like taken out in this big laundry basket full of dirty clothes Happens to be true, Mr. Ford does show up because he has the inside information um, However, the laundry basket works and Falstaff is kind of uh, ushered right past his nose on his way out
0: it's one of the very funny, like, plot devices of the play that the, the madams, the, the merry wives, uh, Ford and Paige are playing this trick on Falstaff where they're pretending that Mr. Ford is coming to discover the affair. And so they're going to bundle him away and hide him over and over in all these ridiculous, annoying ways. And then he, Mr. Ford does actually show up. <laughs> right. It's a great, like... It's a, it's a clever little plot sequence, but it's also funny because of its dramatic irony, right? Like we, the audience, know that Mr. Ford does in fact know that this is a date that he's going to show up and try to catch them in it. So as the why, the Merry Wives, Ford, and Page tried to convince Falstaff that Mr. Ford is coming, we, the audience, know that Mr. Ford is in fact coming. So there's <laughs> right. layers of performativity and dramatic irony there that are just so satisfying
1: so satisfying. Yep. Yep. To see it all pay off is great. Um, to sum it up uh, briefly that, that whole pattern happens once more again. It's not a laundry basket this time. It's a, it's a, it's her like step uncle-in-law who's in town um, who she knows that that uh, Mr. Ford doesn't like, and so when he comes out, Mr. Ford beats him up but doesn't notice that he's Falstaff. Uh, an- another uh, hijink occurs. Um, and then the, the kind of last one happens, and this is kind of the notable one because it's where the two subplots converge. Um, uh, the the merry wives go and tell their husbands that this whole thing has been happening all along. They've been making a fool of Falstaff um, it, despite his advances, and they're like, oh, that's so funny. Um, Mr. Ford is like, uh, sorry I ever doubted you. Um. And the, you kind of get this initial stage of the couples making up after sort of a tense couple days. Um, however, they plan one more big prank. They 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 have uh, Falstaff come and dress up in this uh, kind of hunter's outfit that it's connected to the old tale of Abiku the hunter um, and connected to this like fairy glen that they have in town. So they say, "Come to the fairy glen, uh, Madame Ford's going to meet you there one more time. We'll we'll, we'll make up for all of these other things that went wrong. So sorry about that. Come in this this outfit, <laughs> and and I'll meet you." There. Well, to a bunch of staff surprise, they all arrive and uh, kind of play this big prank on him that the spirits have come to haunt him and they pinch him and, and make him panic. Um, and he's ultimately caught out as the fool. The other big thing that happens during this is each of the parents subsequently plot their final move with their daughter Anne Paige. Um and and is uh kind of set up to uh, marry Caius, um uh and then by 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 the mother, um, by virtue of uh she's, she'll be wearing a spirit mask, and she tells Caius to take away the person who is wearing this colored spirit mask. I believe it's a blue. I'm going to be wrong about that. I think actually that one's white. That one's white. Um,
0: one of them's white and one of them's one blue. One of them's blue. <laughs> and that's actually weirdly different colors than the original Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's some no reason
0: is. the colors change. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, Dr. Kaius is told to take away uh, uh, Anne, who will be wearing a, a blue mask and go get married. Um, and uh, Mr. Page tells Slender to take away Anne Page, who will be wearing a white mask and go away and get married. Um, and Paige fools them all. She, uh, is not wearing either masks, um, and is, has kind of set up two different people, um, for these two people to take away with them. Um, as she, in fact, goes off, runs off, and, um, marries Fenton. Um, each of the parties come back after their marriage ceremonies, and, uh, Shallow is like... This is an Anne? Oh, this is actually someone who is very attractive. I don't mind this at all. Um, And his story kind of moves on. Caius ends up marrying another man, and he's like, Thank you so much. This is awesome. How did you know that I actually wanted to marry another man? Thank you. Um, And uh, he happily goes off after having (laughs) gotten married, and then Anne emerges, and in a notable difference from the previous script, tells her own story about how the whole uh, uh, last con worked there with the masks and marrying Fenton. And uh, the whole thing kind of wraps up very neatly. Um, the one character who I, I, I meant to insert into my synopsis throughout this um, and forgot to is Mama Quickly. Mama Quickly has been a pivotal character throughout. She's the go-between. She is one of Caius's employees. Um, but she's also Ann Page's friend. So at one point or another, all three of the suitors have um, uh, enlisted Ma- <laughs> Mama Quickly to uh, to put a good word in for them. And by the end of it, she's like, actually... I, I'm, I'm close with all of these people at this point. I'll, I guess I'll just see what Anne wants. <laughs> and so uh, she's been, but she is, she is this kind of like go between uh, for, for all these characters throughout trying to figure out exactly what Anne wants and how to make that all happen. Eventually at the very end, a big feast is thrown. Everyone gathers back together and uh, even Falstaff, poor Falstaff is inv- invited to the dinner to celebrate the wedding of Anne Page and, Fenton who are uh, despite their uh, trickery um and uh, successful con of everyone are uh, Fenton is welcomed warmly into the family by the pages and they all go off to have a grand wedding festival together. There you go that's that's my my rambling uh, <laughs> synopsis for for Mary Wives.
0: Mary Wives yes Jocelyn's adaptation does uh, a couple of things that I think are interesting in terms of adaption. First of all, she does what a lot of Shakespeare adaptions, and even if you're performing the Shakespeare uh, text that you would probably do, to some degree which is cut. This thing is cut way, way, way down. Like I said, it runs less than two hours. It's a really quick read. It's a, It hits, I think, the major plot points without overly dwelling on the things that are confusing. She adapts the jokes. She cuts a bunch of characters, right? There's like which, there's like a half dozen <laughs> different servants in which the Original like, in, Mary yeah. Wives of Windsor.
1: <laughs> in my like re- quick read through of them, I, I was like, super makes sense to cut these pe- folks because a lot of them are like scene change characters yeah. oh <laughs> like God. it's like yeah. the host of the the hotel who's talking with a completely other character about a governor coming to town um and so i <laughs> i thought like, that
0: her 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 adaption in terms of cutting too became really noticeable it's towards the end it's like late in act four early in act five everybody is getting set up for this final big fr- uh prank wedding scene at the the fairy park right and so all these different parties have all these different pranks and and schemes that they're trying to work out, and so there's all of these scenes right in a row in the original Merry Wives of Windsor where different groups of people come on and cement the plans for their part of the scheme or prank. And when in Jocelyn's adaption, some of those scenes are one line long. It's just like people come on and say, here's the plan, and then they leave. Come on and say, here's the plan, plan, and then they leave. (laughs) Instead of these protracted, ongoing conversations to set up the plot points, she just keeps it rolling along, which I love. Um, But we – I mean we – I don't think there's any way to to overlook the major – adaptive move that she made, which is to change the culture and setting of this play and, and make it about African American folks, African immigrant folks who are living in Harlem. And the 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 attitudes, the language, the culture that is brought and breathes life into this play as a result is a major part of what is happening on stage and is just truly delightful.
1: It is, yeah, yeah. Just just delightful to spend time with these characters, hear things from their perspective a little bit. Um, the the themes. Uh, Justin Beale talked talks in in talking about adapting this play. Talks about the like resonance of the themes of Shakespeare, because Shakespeare is talking about you know class differences, wealth differences, uh, status, relationship within families. Um, and so all of these things are are super super still still very relevant. And so the resetting of it, um, uh, with with all um African American characters in in the in the script. Um, uh, really really gets you a chance to engage these things um, and 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 enjoy enjoy hearing them from a fresh perspective and also represents a whole other a whole other uh, a group of folks than what is typically welcomed in Shakespeare. So this this play is really important for that reason as well.
0: Yeah, and, and there there's a couple of different reviews that talk about that this kind of adaption may, has, let's say, potential to be sort of preachy, to be sort of uh, issues-based, and that Jocelyn Bio has really capably – instead made this a celebratory piece where the community that it comes out of, that this version of the story comes out of, is celebrated, is joyful, is is part of make of making the play and the story richer. And I, I so appreciate that. It's 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 a strange adaptation because literally on the page, other than the names of the characters, and then there are some language changes. Um I don't think that on the page you capture the richness of what this adaption could do as you would in production. So watching clips, watching longer scenes from that PBS recording of it was really helpful. Um, the, one reviewer from the uh, Variety.com talks about how uh, the costume designer gives colorfully appointed West African immigrants in traditional garb, designer label fashionistas, hip-hop gear fanciers, and everyday people blended into one friendly mix. And then I think a really interesting part of this review that I'm just going to read straight from. Sometimes they roar in protest. Black Lives Matter becomes a crucial part of Bio and Ali's Merry Wives near its gorgeous tree-lined finale with an impassioned speech from the neighborhood friend Dual, Mama Quickly. BLM might, activist ardor, the right to freely live without violence and the West African South Harlem spiritual experience is tied together in a fashion deeply rooted in the voice of the gods and those that heed their words. The thing I didn't talk about in the context section, which I wanted to save to talk about around the script, is that the other thing that's happening in American culture, I mean, there's a lot of things, but two of the major things, one's COVID, we talked about that already, but the other thing is the Black Lives Matter protests. And to stage an adaption of Shakespeare, a white playwright who wrote plays for white people, including the plays that have black people in them, of which there's only two Black characters, and those two Black characters were in Shakespeare's day played by white people in blackface, to take that a play, a play out of that culture, and stage it with instead, like, the, the culture of West African immigrants in Harlem... In the middle of a huge upheaval in American culture around the rights of black people to live peaceably and unperturbed in this country is a statement in and of itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely, ab- ab- absolutely, and and yeah, stay stay right in the middle of New York, um, right right the kind of first play that we all gather back together again. Yeah, it's impossible to not uh, also also notice that, and uh, and also not celebrate that along with the play, um, uh, that 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 these characters um uh, are are on stage are on stage together and 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 get to engage this story and tell this this facet of the story. Um, so there's there's that language in there. Uh, you also mentioned the like. There are some current cultural references in the play. Um, LeBron, uh, LeBron James. James makes a <laughs> yeah. really... Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. There's a great <laughs> joke in there about LeBron James and goat horns. That yep. is just awesome.
1: Yep. There's also a pretty uh, distinct... Uh, Falstaff monologue that um, uh, that is is right in the vein of what you're talking about, about like he comes out after his second um, second uh, trick uh, that was played on him. He's he's found out in the audience and has this sort of um, monologue that is very culturally specific or not culturally um, time socio economically. <laughs> you know, it's very specific to the time of when the play was written. Um, it, it talks about how this has been a rough year. We've been locked inside for a long time. All this stuff is happening. Um, how can you blame me that I want to go and 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 have this relationship with the <laughs> yeah, Mary just, Wives?
0: Uh, let, just to catch exactly how specific it is. Remember, this is the summer after the year of COVID, right? I, I understand COVID on longer than a year. I'm just speaking in shorthand. So Falstaff, after getting tricked, like you said, say, he says a couple of things, and then I'm just quoting. It's been a long, hard year, y'all. Couldn't go to the clubs. Couldn't hit up the bars. Liquor stores was closed all early. Been stuck in the house just eating snacks, watching Netflix, bored out of my GD mind. You know what I'm talking about, so can you blame me for trying to get with Madam Page and Madam Ford? You know, those are some merry wives. (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a very, very specific monologue. Talks a lot to what you we've been already been talking about. Also, it's though it's included with a note, um, uh, and I'll just read the note real quick. That says, for future productions, there is a permissible improv encouraged here to fit the type of the stage, theater, or venue the production is being performed in. Thank you. And I think that's that's a, that's a great note. That's an important note um especially if you're going to set the 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 time of the play in present day, um something that so specifically grounds it in a specific time, um having permission to sort of have that improbability um uh makes the play feel alive. At least for me, at least reading the the script. It it makes it it's a great note from the playwright to say, "Yeah, I acknowledge that this was something specific that we planned for here, um and also I want it to feel like like vernacular wanted to feel specific wanted to feel valuable and relevant to your theater as well so so i i really appreciate that that monologue it's a monologue that is doesn't have a mirror in the first script there isn't a false staff like comes out and talks to the audience about being tricked um monologue at that specific point in the play so uh so it's uh it's I, i i'm grateful for its presence in this script
0: No, and I actually want to talk about Falstaff a little more here in a second. But I also want to note that just because I'm me and I'm going to be annoying about it, (laughs) as you say, the script does say present day. And yet, (laughs) it's very clearly set The right after COVID, (laughs) that's like specifically named. So I don't know about that. It's like I I, I might (laughs) have just put summer twenty twenty one. Those hey, that's my inclinations. I've complained about it enough in different contexts. Uh, I knew
1: I knew it would tee you up a little bit if we (laughs) if I spent a little time on it.
0: So, but Falstaff, so you mentioned that, the, that this monologue doesn't have an equivalent in Merry Wives of Windsor. W- what also doesn't really have an, an equivalent, and I'm not like an expert in Merry Wives of Windsor. I've read it many times. I read it in preparation for this, but I don't have the knowledge of that like I do other Shakespeare's per se. But my, I mean, my interpretation of Merry Wives of Windsor, The diff- one of the changes is that in the original text, I don't really ever see Falstaff— getting as defeated as he does in this version of in this version every time Falstaff is pranked or kicked out or thrown in the sewer or whatever he basically says boy that was the worst I don't want to do this anymore that was terrible I'll just give up and then somebody comes along and convinces him not to. But in the in the original Mary Wives of Windsor, Falstaff's like go get 'em attitude just like <laughs> seems never shaken. Yep. He comes out of each prank and is like, all right, back on the horse. I'm going again.
1: Right, yeah, he's indefatigable. Um, uh, just co- kind of continues to, to be like, well, that was that was another part of my merry life. Um, and here here I go. He's he's an interesting character for that. He's interesting to think about across the breadth of the plays that he jumps into. Because in this play, I think you're right. He's got this sort of like, especially in the classic plays, he's got this sort of like plucky, continuous. I'm just just the 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 dirty old man, the pantalone. The, I just keep doing this thing. It's what I do. It's what I do. And then his his spot in the hand, Henry plays a really interesting role in an otherwise pretty heavy play. <laughs> about. And I just want to
0: be clear, too, in case you all don't know, this is, it is the same Falstaff. And there's yeah. not, it's not even like we're assuming it's the same Falstaff. The original *Mary Wives of Windsor script contains a very direct reference where some, I forget who, but somebody says something to the effect of like, you know, Falstaff. He used to hang out with the prince when the prince right. was like a ne'er-do-well. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, exact same guy it's not a different guy <laughs> right. same guy yeah, and set yeah. In the same time. This is like the Falstaff side story to the Henry plays.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And and he's still off to his, his strange things that he does. Yeah, no, he's such an interest or such an interesting character to try to track across many of the of the Shakespeare plays. One of the few like repeating characters in it. There's repeating archetypes, but it's interesting to have a repeating character across all, so many of the plays. So so yeah, I but but then I agree that this 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 version or adaptation of, of Falstaff is like a little bit more, um, I don't want to like, it's not quite dopey, but a little bit more like, um, uh, (laughs) he's, he's just able to be fatigued. (laughs) He's just able to be gotten to a little bit more. it,
0: It does seem to me like one of the things that, that Jocelyn did is invest the characters with a little more real, reactions to their situations. I mean, I I said at the very beginning of the podcast of all the Shakespeare plays, Mary Wives of Windsor gets the most criticism for just not showing the depth of like human understanding that a lot of the other Shakespeare plays show. I mean, again, for his time, Shakespeare is absolutely celebrated for how deeply he understood psychology And not like psychology in books, but just like the actual way people think and interpret and process events. It's incredible. I mean, the the set speeches show people thinking in the way that people really think. For, you know, the 1500s and 1600s, that's incredible. And Merry Wives of Windsor just maybe doesn't show that level of robustness from Shakespeare's writing. And so (laughs) it's actually interesting to watch Jocelyn Bia, who also has an incredibly deep, Uh, uh, fantastic understanding of how people think Uh, for her to then take this sort of lambasted Shakespeare play and I think one of the things she does is put back in a little better sense of how people actually think it was fascinating one of the reviews talked about how in the original Mary Wives of Windsor uh, Ford Mr. Ford's monologues about how he thinks his wife are cheating on him are played for being sort of silly and dumb And that in Jocelyn Beale's adaption, this dude actually seems like he's in some pain. And the stakes are high. Like, he does not want his wife to be cheating on him. That's going to be a huge betrayal. He's going to be made a big fool of. And the stakes of that, the pain behind that, are presented as much more real, much more honest. And what that does for the comedy is gives it some actual stakes. Some actual, there's some actual danger of somebody getting legitimately hurt.
1: Yeah, it gives it a little bit more of an edge, a little bit more, a little bit more reality. I think to that it sets up um, the the second the second trick on Falstaff to be a little bit more a little bit more dramatic. There's a lot of just like slapstick comedy in that scene as well. But you see him uh, you see Mr. Ford kind of arrive at the laundromat for the second time. He's brought all of his friends from they were like bird watching in the park. Um but he went to went to all of his friends was like no this is happening again. You got to come with me. You got to catch him out right now. Um and he shows up and and there is this like real sense of I, I think I might have messed up big again, um, coming from uh, Mr. Ford, who who like manages to get them all to keep checking the place with him, Mrs. Falstaff in his his garb uh, and in, in his disguise. But yeah, there is this real sense that he's. He's got a lot more riding on this um, and could have his friends like say to him, this doesn't look good on you or something to that effect. This is this is looking kind of bad. (laughs) Like you got to figure out what's going on with you. And it does carry a little bit more weight than just sort of farcical comedy slapstick.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. One of the other changes to the script, of course, is that Jocelyn Bio has switched to the gender of a number of the characters, and for differing reasons, and I'd like to spend some time there. One of the genders that she flips, just to articulate uh, a different reason than the one we'll probably spend the most time talking about, is in the scene where Falstaff is the second prank, where he has to slip out, and he's disguised as Madame Ford's uncle. Like estranged uncle that Mister Ford doesn't like. In the original script, it's actually that he's disguised as her aunt, and the the of course the the unfortunate. Thing about that is that the joke of the scene is that Mr. Ford like beats this person in disguise not knowing it's Falstaff, believing that it is this relative of his wife's that he absolutely hates for some reason that we never get a lot of info about. But he like beats her with a shoe off stage, and, and in the original script Falstaff says like I'm like black and blue and all different colors from the beating, so pretty severe beating. And of course the you know it's uncomfortable because that is like it's a woman beating joke that is made in the original *Mary Wives of Windsor*. So Jocelyn switches that for this play and makes it her uncle. Now it's still you know incredible awful violence, but uh, right. she <laughs> takes she she intentionally switches the character to take out the jo- the punchline being a woman being beaten. So that's one place. There's many places. The most notable place, of course, though, is Fenton.
1: Yeah, yeah, Fenton Fenton uh, as uh being casted as uh actor identifying as 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 a as a woman. Um and and the relationship between Fenton and Ann Page being being yeah, being this like really earnest one, one that kind of like uh flies under un, under the radar of a lot of people, um but also one that's uh, th- I think I think what I really love about how this script treats that relationship, everyone still treats it seriously. Like there isn't like a there isn't like a joke made there isn't like the the shoe doesn't drop around C- certainly this certainly this play coming out when it did there was lots in the news about LGBTQ rights and things like that um so it certainly was uh sort of in the air in in the water of this play to kind of have the family not be supportive in some way as is so often the case with with a lot of LGBTQ folks and the family sort of move against. Fenton is not based on that, it's about Fenton's privilege in the community, it's about uh the lack of money and connections of Fenton,
0: yeah, for exactly right, for sure, right? Really, in a comparable way to the way where the like Black Lives Matter issues are brought up in the play, there's a version of doing this that becomes preachy, right? And I think what you're describing probably is that version where if the, the the So so in the original Mary Wives of Windsor, Madam and Mr. Page don't want their daughter to marry Fenton. But it's for like class reasons. Fenton has spent all his money, doesn't have, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, wealthy acumen to be an appropriate match, right? So in making Fenton a female identifying person and making this uh, an LGBTQ relationship, there's a version of this play where Jocelyn switches the reason why the parents don't. Don't like Fenton and don't approve of Fenton. It's because Fenton's a woman and because it's uh, they're, they're, they're two women getting in a relationship together. And that could become fairly preachy. But I'm totally with you that what's delightful about it is that they don't change the reason why they reject Fenton. And, and, and it, it's not about the fact that Fenton's a woman at all. It's about the fact that Fenton doesn't have the money to be an appropriate match for their daughter. And so just in the way that just the fact of staging the play in this way is making political commentary, is making a statement without needing to layer on a bunch of additional speeches or material. The casting of the role is part of the commentary being made, and that makes it so delightfully— I'm not sure subtle is the right word, but it—it actually what it is is that it ends up being celebratory as a political statement. Right. We can celebrate the fact that the play ends with that relationship being the one that is held up as true love as the way that that this play should have ended. Right. It's comedy. It ends in weddings. That's the way the play should have ended. The celebration is the political statement.
1: Yeah, yeah, the celebration and the welcome, the, 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 the uh, lack of consequences, um, all of those things uh, uh, allow it to be this this kind of lovely, lovely statement that we all can, can see. We all know the, the water in which it's swimming, and we don't have to hear it specifically stated. It, uh, maybe it's not subtle, but it is controlled. There's a lot of self-control <laughs> in, in that character, and I think it really pays off um, uh, uh, for, for the end of the play. And here,
0: here's my my point, my uh, time rather to be a little preachy for just a second. And my guess is anybody that disagrees with me or that will hate what I'm about to say probably isn't listening anyway. Probably not
1: listening. Yeah. So,
0: but <laughs> but here's what I will say to those out there who see contemporary Shakespeare stagings where LGBTQ characters and relationships appear, and you cross your that's just being as a, a woke, political, politically right. correct. You are. just – just wrong. Yep. You're wrong about a lot of things, but you're specifically wrong about that political, uh, uh, not political, LGBTQ relationships appear in Shakespeare. They appear throughout a lot of ancient literature, and the reason why it appears in this play is that it does appear in this play, (laughs) in the original Merry Wives of Windsor. You're just wrong about that. Now, what happens is, in the original Merry Wives of Windsor, LGBTQ relationships are held up as a joke. They're the punchline at the end of the play. How that works in the original script is that the two other suitors of Anne Page, the doctor and the, the nephew character, they end up getting tricked in the middle of that big spirit mask scene at the end, and they slip off with someone who they think is Ann Page to go get married. And, and the person that they slipped off with is not Anne Page, but a boy. Right. And so they come back and one of them even say, one of them is like, I accidentally married this boy. It's right. was like, this was a boy. I was supposed to be marrying a girl. And it becomes a joke. Oh, how silly they ended up with boys. And Jocelyn changes that. And away from being a joke and into being a celebration. The doctor, who does actually end up with a male-identifying person, is delighted. And the other person ends up with a female-identifying person who he is delighted in. Everybody's happy at the end, including Fenton and Ann Page. And we celebrate rather than make a mockery of. But the idea that woke folks are just adding in gay people to the Shakespeare plays is stupid. That's (laughs) you're not right about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, yeah. The 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 way that it that it definitely like leans into that, and also the the celebration of it. Celebration is just like a good. Word for this script, <laughs> this 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 script is a celebration of a lot of things. It's certainly a celebration of Black Americans. It's certainly a celebration of LGBTQ folks. It's certainly a celebration of being able to go back to theater again. Um, yes. So all of those things are, are wrapped into this play. We're, we're nearing the end of our time for this particular conversation. Anything else you want to throw in towards the end, Jacob, or or you feel? I okay? I, I
0: love adapt. You and I both love adaptions. This yeah. was just such a delight to see as an adaption. It's a very faithful adaption despite the major changes to culture and gender of some characters the story remains so much intact and what's layered onto it are the delightful things that make it present in contemporary america instead of a story from whatever century england so i i just want to really give props for the faithfulness of the story and how great a job jocelyn bio has done making it about today and that, yeah. that's a fine, balanced walk, and it's done really well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely uh, find find this play. <laughs> find the scripts. Find the conversations around it. Find the recordings of it. Um, definitely find a way to interact with this play. And when you do, uh, we'd love to keep having conversations about it with you. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at Noscript Podcast. We also have a Gmail, podcast at gmail.com. I acknowledge that I just said Twitter, and I'm just still in denial that that it's not called Twitter. Um, so, so you can find us on any of those. It's social gonna
0: media. be. I, here's my hot conspiracy take. It's going to be Twitter again. It yep. won't be too long before it goes back to being Twitter. And that maybe was the point all along. That's my there conspiracy brain for just a second. Elon, that's what I think. I think this whole thing has been a, a, a ruse. A,
1: a clever ruse. Well, in that case, I'm just being evergreen then. So find us on any of those sites. <laughs> We'd love to keep talking about Merry Wives with you.
0: Absolutely. If you enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations across 11 seasons, please recommend us to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes theater, writing, conversations about theme, story, character, how things are written, how they're constructed. Send them our way. I think they'll like the podcast. We will be back next week with our special guest, Corey Hayes. Corey and I had a great conversation and we're looking forward to sharing that with you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and you can like Like our Facebook page, where a link to the new episode is posted every Monday, right there for you to click and play.
1: We got two more scripts left of this season. Looking forward to having those conversations. But until then, I'm Jackson.
0: I'm Jacob. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.